It took a long time for me to learn to love myself. A very long time. I wish I would have told her that she was pretty and she believed it. I wish I could have told her that she was smart and she would have believed it. And I wish I would have told her that the things that she's experiencing, it is okay to share and to tell. Don't keep things a secret. I just, I didn't know. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am just delighted to welcome Karen Correa to the My Fourth Act podcast. Karen is a seasoned professional in the life sciences field and currently serves as VP and head of global clinical operations for Takeda. She has another foot in the world of beauty pageants. Karen is a former Miss New Jersey and just this year competed again and won the title of Mrs. New Jersey. Karen is outspoken about her personal journey of overcoming trauma, and she is passionate about mentoring other young women on personal wellness and self-love. Karen is a fiercely committed lifelong learner, and I am so happy to welcome Karen to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm, I'm super excited as well. You have, in my mind, an extraordinary life journey where if I want to use a metaphor, I see you as a juggler who's juggled many balls all the time and they were up in the air a lot. I'm curious, I like to start this conversation with every guest. When you were a young girl growing up, if mom and dad ever asked you, hey, Karen, what do you want to do with your life when you grow up? What, what were you thinking at that time? Wow. It changed, as you can imagine, over time. Yeah. But I think that unfortunately, unlike some people, mine was driven by life experiences. So mm-hmm. I was really excited in the beginning to be like a detective to investigate <laughs> or even, you know, just a police officer, because I felt like it helped get some of the things that were done wrong corrected. Yeah. So it's kind of where I was. I was driven to just from my personal experiences that I was experiencing in life. And I'm like, I need a cop in my life. I need to become a cop. So I could protect people. Yeah. So what are some things that in your mind needed to be protected? What kind of protection did you think you would offer as a cop? <laughs> I didn't know at the time, but I thought that if I became an officer, I would be able to protect other young girls from this. some of the things that I had experienced as a young girl. And when you are a child, you just don't understand when things are happening. Um, I was unfortunately had been molested as a young girl mm-hmm. and I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know why it happened to me. And I felt like I wasn't protected and I was scared. So I lived in fear and I felt like nobody should be scared. And so I was like, if I'm a cop, <laughs> I can protect people. I didn't know how that was going to work out, but that's what I thought. So 
how, and I have a hunch we're going to get back more to molestation young women a little later in the conversation. So I don't want to drop that thread or where my mind just went. So how did you go from, I want to be a cop? Oh, let me compete and become Miss, Miss New Jersey. How did that happen? <laughs> how do you do that? How so, did you do that? I mean, it, it kind of still links together. So as a young child, I also was kind of bullied. I was not considered pretty. We're not where I was growing up you know, being of a darker complexion was considered ugly. So I went through this stage where I didn't love the person I saw in the mirror. When I got to got older, I started to say, okay. And now I have people say, you're, you know, when I was younger, they would tell me, oh, you're pretty to be dark. And I used to say, that's not a compliment. You know, there's a, you're pretty to be dark. So that means you're telling me that I should be ugly. It's what you're really saying, but you don't think that I'm ugly. As I got older, I had to learn to love myself. And I was thinking to myself, wow, how many more people are going through this situation to not love themselves, to love, you know, to listen what other people think they should look like or they should be like. So what I did is I started doing a lot of mentoring in the community. I mentored, I would go and speak. And yes, I would get people's attention when I told them my story. But I would notice that if before I was speaking or after I was speaking, that if there was someone who had something that they had accomplished that was like kind of more like of a celebrity approach or something, they got a bigger attention. So I was like, hmm. So one day someone approached me and asked me about being in a pageant. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I'm too old. I was like 45 years old. And then I thought about it and they were like, well, you have an opportunity to have a megaphone for your platform. And I was like, my platform? And she was like, yeah, you do a lot of mentoring. So there's your, that's your platform. Now you've given that a megaphone when you become a title holder. And it just sparked. And I was like, I'm for it. And so I then started to compete in pageants. And I did notice that as I have a crown on my head and a sash on, I was able to get people's attention, especially younger girls and so forth. I was able to get them to gravitate to that first and then they started to listen with more depth. So I used it as a magnet. And so that's what got me into it. And I love it. I only know that world from watching the pageants on television. But you know it as an insider. So I want to let you know, my impression is you're there. You're an attractive woman. But you're surrounded by lots of other attractive women. So what I'm imagining, if I'm insecure, it could actually magnify the insecurities. Because every person you look at is beautiful, possibly more beautiful than you. I would imagine the shape of your body matters. You have to be able to answer questions intelligently and quickly. As an outsider, I just see this incredible pressure cooker. Do I see that correctly? Or what was that like for you? You do see it correctly. It is a pressure cooker. But I think that pressure was... It was kind of like a catalyst for me. I actually saw it as an opportunity to push myself. You know, again, someone kept telling me I wasn't good enough or I wasn't pretty enough. And I was like, and for years, I allowed other people to define who I was and what I thought of myself. So doing the pageant helped me define what I thought of myself. And if I didn't win, I didn't win. There was many times I didn't win, but I sure gave it a heck of a run. And I think it made me more resilient. So 
would you describe yourself as a fighter? Because I'm listening to you and going like, this woman is a fighter. She doesn't quit. She, she hangs in there. She has tenacity. Am I hearing you correctly? You are absolutely correct. I I, I truly believe I, I've been fighting since day one. I have been fighting so many battles. And I feel that to continue to keep fighting is important for me. I think it keeps me going. I think I'm I'm not that person that's going to retire and sit on the couch. It's just, there's just no way. I just feel like there's just too much for me to do. So when I am moving and doing things, I'm, I'm a little happier. My husband is like, when are we going to take a break? <laughs> we got something <laughs> to do every weekend. I, I mean, so yes, I think that fight in me is, is what keeps me going. You know, it's like a little fire. A little fire. I love that, that phrase of a little fire. Now, in in the personal website you have, and we're going to talk about your professional career in a moment, you're very open about, and you already alluded to, about overcoming trauma to, to learn to love yourself more deeply. And I've had my own traumas in my own life, but I'm not an African-American woman, so I would imagine your traumas were different from my traumas. But I know the kind of homework I had to do to start healing myself. How does one heal trauma? Or how did you start to heal trauma? Wow, that's a really loaded question. And it's actually a really good question. It's part of what I do when I help people get to their trauma and try to, you know, unpack what they're going through and what they're feeling. The first thing you have to do is realize that you are there. You have to realize where you're at. You know, when you mentally sit back and say, wow, I'm not in a good space right now. So I think you can only do something when you reckon. It's kind of like when someone who is drinking or smoking or whatever addiction or whatever they work with, until you start to recognize where you at, you can't move forward. And knowing that you are lacking self-love, you got to know that you're there so that you can start to do something about it. So I think that the first piece is just getting that understanding and recognition of like, this is where I'm at. And then once you know where you're at, you start to unpack that. I really focus on daily affirmations. I focus on putting myself around positive people. I focus on my self-help type of approaches. I'm a big journaler. I like to journal all the time. I write because I truly believe that it's like an action for me. And I will write it down. I am beautiful. I am this, I am that, I can do that. And I just, I, I do that, speak those things into existence. And I think that's really important. And then I start to look at what is it I have to do to make myself feel beautiful? What is that? You know, it could be something small, it could be something big. And I just make steps on that. And then I start to look at, you know, like I said, self-help. So I'll watch videos, I'll, I'll pick something up, or, you know, the things that help. You know, I recently picked up Rhythms of Rest. It's like a 40 devotions for women on the move. You know, I just pick that up. So it's those things are important because you need that. You give us such a good glimpse into. I'm going to call it taking responsibility for how you feel about yourself instead of letting other people take it away from you. You take actions to own how you see and experience yourself. Am I hearing that correctly? That is absolutely correct. Yeah. We so much let people define ourselves. And it's easy. It's easy for one someone to tell you that you're ugly or you're or you're fat or you're skinny or you you don't look this way or you you don't have this or you're not smart enough. 
And you hear that long enough, you start to believe that. So you got to hear something else. So what I want to do is block out with people saying, I want to hear that I'm beautiful and that I'm smart and that I can do this. And that's important. And in at different stages in your life, I've been divorced and I'm like, I can be married. I can have a successful marriage. I can be a good mother. I can't like you, no matter what you go through, no matter what stage it is, you have to rewrite that story and you have to keep focusing on, because to me, every new day is a new beginning. That means I was given a chance to try this again, whatever it is. So that's what I focus on. You've had a long and impressive career and still have in the, I'm going to call it the life sciences, the biotech pharma world. You have a VP title in a highly respected company, Takeda. You have a significant portfolio in terms of the amount of people that work for you. Did you stumble into that industry by accident or did you kind of go, oh, this is something I want to work in? Or was it, did you, anyway, let me stop here. How did you end up in this line of work? That's a really good question. I really did kind of stumble. When I realized that I didn't want to be a detective and do all of that part of my life, I really focused on, I still knew I wanted to investigate. I wanted to learn. I love the sciences. And so I was like, I want to be a doctor because I wanted to help people yeah. throughout the whole, it, it, always was, it was always a service, service to attitude. I'm definitely a service-minded kind of person. So I was like, oh, I want to be a doctor. When, when I graduated from school and that didn't work out, I'm like, ooh. What am I going to do with my career? What am I do with this degree? And so I kind of fell into research and I have loved it ever since. It's been the best decision. And I really truly believe when God closes one door, he opens a window. Mm-hmm. So the window of opportunity was open for me in the biopharma industry. And I have been doing it for 30 years. And I wouldn't change it for anything in the world because I still feel like I impact the lives of patients, which is my ultimate goal anyways. Now, one thing you and I, we we know each other a little bit outside this conversation, and we joked about this. I, I went back when I was in my 40s to get a master's degree, and everybody said, oh, you should get go for a PhD. And I could barely stomach finishing my master's. But you went back to get your doctorate, your PhD. And I say this with great respect. That takes an incredible amount of drive and commitment. Where, it does. How did you do that? Where did you come from? Why did you do that? I'm curious, Karen. You know, to be very honest and transparent, I saw people accelerating in their career. And I felt like I wasn't accelerating to where I wanted to be mm-hmm. and where I wanted to make my greatest impact. And I would look at, I used to imitate other people. In other words, not like copy or try to be them. I don't want to be them, but I want to learn from them. And so I'm like, what do I not have to get to that next level? What am I lacking? So I was always looking for opportunities to grow and develop myself. And I was like, well, got my master's. That was one thing. And then I was like, check. And then I would look and then I would look at like the jobs that I was applying for. And I'd say, see, sometimes, okay, sometimes they'd be like, oh, we're seeking a doctoral or MD or a PhD. And I'm like, hmm, okay, well, guess I need to go back and get my PhD. So it's more about growing myself and then also making sure that I have everything I possibly need to get my foot in the door. Because I truly believe that sometimes you got to have everything you can. You know, as they someone told me one time, take every opportunity, but need none. Mm-hmm. That was the deepest. I was like, take every opportunity, but need none. So I took every opportunity to get every education I can, get everything I could possibly have. 
I might not need it, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to have it and I'm going to use it to better me so that I am the best candidate. I want to know that I'm here because I deserve to be here. Do you have a sense that as a Black woman, you needed that competitive advantage over others? Was that part of your thinking? It was part of my thinking. You know, I come from a mother that didn't have a high school education and I come from a father that didn't have anything past. All he did was have a high school degree and a little bit of college. So for me, it was like, I need to have everything. I don't, I don't even know where it stops. You know, I didn't finish with that. I'm like, okay, well, let me get two or three certifications. I did that as well. Like, let me go and get a you know, certificate from Cornell. Let me get my certification in clinical research. Let me get my board certified medical affairs. Like I was like, I need to have everything I possibly can because I want to make sure that when I do get that opportunity, that I can be as knowledgeable as I possibly can in the role and as effective as I can. So it wasn't even also about helping me get the job. I wanted to help me make sure that I do well in the job. Yeah, makes total sense to me. As you're talking, I remember in my family, we came from very blue collar backgrounds in my family. And my dad ended up, you know, having an international career as an architect. We were like the only female, only people who got out of that town. Do you know what I mean? And whenever we went back to see the family, it was like, I call it, we put on the family show. Like we pretended we were happy to see each other, but I think people weren't happy to see us. We were like the aliens who came to visit, you know? So as I think Mm. about you, you describe your parents and I'm thinking, were they able to celebrate your achievements and your successes or is part of them going, wow, she sort of got away from us a little too much with your with your doctorate and all of those things? What, what's that like in your family? Um, well, for my mom, unfortunately, passed when I was 27 years old with my daughter, my first child. So she got to see me get my bachelor's and my master's. But she did not get to experience. No, I was actually finished on my master's. She did not get to experience me, experience me getting to where I'm at today because I was only 27 years old. So unfortunately, yeah, that was really hard to be her baby girl and her not see me get to those levels. My father, on the other hand, did get to see me graduate, get to get my master's, get to get my PhD. He was around. He passed actually four years ago. About a, it was his his four year anniversary was about a week or so ago, so he did get to see all of that, and he was extremely. His flag is behind me. That's my father's flag. He served in the military for twenty six years, but um, he got to see that, and he was so proud of me, and it was just a joy to know that the hard work that I saw him do in serving our country is the same hard work that I can do. So when people complain about their work-life balance, I sometimes can't relate because I saw my father and my in my growing up be gone for months at a time. I saw my father get up and have to be at formation in the military. You have to be, you know, be there like 4.30. And I saw him come home, you know, late at night and taking off his boots and passing out and have to get right back up the next morning or then I've got to go in the field or whatever. So when I saw that, I really saw hard work. Me sitting in my little corporate office or sitting at my home office in my little go get my tea. I so I don't I don't I can't 
you know, understand that. So, yeah. But they, I think that I know they're both looking down on me pretty proud, I hope. And um, I owe it all to them. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the, the My Fourth Act mastermind groups where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. I'm going to ask you a totally unfair question, but I want to ask ask it anyway. That's okay. Because you, you've done so many amazing things in your life. But if you have to just tell, share with our listeners one moment that stands out for you as a highlight where you go, oh, yeah, this is why I do what I do. Or this is why I love doing what I'm doing. A moment when that seemed really, really clear. <clears throat> what moment would come to mind? Wow. My cousin is kind of like my best friend slash sister. We grew up together. We're only a couple of months apart. We both went off to college. And while we were in college, she had the joy of giving birth to the first like baby baby that we all got to help raise. Her daughter was named Brianna Marie McBride. Brianna Marie McBride died at the age of six years mm-hmm. old to neuroblastoma. My cousin, my sister, I got to watch her be a young mother and fight through the whole medical world as a 20-something-year-old woman trying to take care of this sick child with cancer and then to see her child pass. And to learn later on that there was things called disparities where African-American children and Hispanic children seem to have maybe some higher prevalence of neuroblastoma and even higher incidence of death and things of that nature. I started to really think, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I love what I do and I love what I was doing. Then this whole time during this time, I really wanted to push more about research and drug development because I truly felt like we need to have more medicines for people like Brianna and other people that I've seen lose family members. We cannot save everybody. And I get that. But when I hear about the rare diseases and the things that people have that they're suffering for years and, and going through stuff, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just a teary eyed. I mean, I'll, you know, I just watched the movie from scratch and everyone's talking about it. Oh my God. I bawled for hours after that movie because the fact that there is people that you and I are talking and we're good to go. Like there's people every day that are diagnosed with terminally ill illnesses and stuff. And so this is what keeps me going. And I love what I do. And I know that it doesn't always get the positive of what we do, but drug development is about saving lives, prolonging life, increasing quality of life. I just uh, appreciate you for being such a champion for the industry you work in and the work that's being done. I've been privileged to be a guest for almost 20 years in that industry. And and I have the same respect and passion that you do for it. I want to go back to maybe where we start the conversation, because at this point in your career, you're probably one of the most visible 
African-American women in your particular company, Takeda. I know you feel strongly about representation because representation means we have power or authority to make things happen. Um, so I'm gonna give you the floor to talk some more, like what more representation would you like for yourself or other women like you to, to be decision makers and champion the sort of work that, that's important to you? I think that it's important for us to represent the positivity of women and what we can achieve. And then women of color. More importantly, I think it's important for us to remember that as we go up, we should always have a hand that goes back. You should be bringing someone and as many people along with you because, yes, this door opened for me, but it wasn't given for me for me. This door opened for me so that I could open the door for many, many more. It is and it's, 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 when you realize at that point that you're given to who much is given, much is required. Yeah. I am required to help each and every person that I can and, and impact their lives. And I think the more that women realize that it's important for us to nurture and support and encourage other women regardless of their color, their background, their creed, their socioeconomic status, it's important for us to do that. Sometimes I think we so we get so caught up in where we're at. Like, I don't ever want to get so big that you see my title or what I'm doing. Actually, I want you to see what I've, what has been, what has come up because of me. It's not about me. It, like, I want to like vanish in the back. I want I like, to me, true leaders, groom leaders, more leaders. So I want someone to say, oh my gosh, that's Jane. Karen, you know, helped her or that's what, like, not Karen, but focus on what Karen accomplished through other people. Like, how does she help this person? How does she help this project? How does she help this company? That's what I really want people to see about me. And I think that as we see more women, you know, I think that's what we need to be doing. And when we do that, we can change the world. But if it's really about, if we focus on us, then it, it, it doesn't go anywhere. That's just my approach. So as, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about in the, in the world of pageants, you know, people are on car chat platforms. And we already spoken a little bit about your platform and things that matter to you. But I know a, a, a phrase, and I, I, I so appreciate it, is you use the word self-love in helping women, men as well, I'm sure, but women have more self-love. Expound on that if you why why is that your platform that you are as passionate about as you are? Because if you don't love yourself, you can't possibly give. You no one deserves your love more than yourself. And you see it so much in women. We give to our children. We give to our parents that we might be taking care of or a family member. We give to our significant others. And then we forget to give to us. And then we, you know, we have all of these health issues and challenges. And, you know, we're sitting back and we're the ones in the closet, the closet doors crying and, you know, just breaking down because we we're trying to keep it all together. And so that's when I was like, I have to love Karen so that Karen can help her five children, 
from her blended family, her grandchildren, so she can help her nieces and she can help her neighbors. And like, I have to do that. And when I saw, like I said, my mother passed at the age of 27, when I was 27 years old. And what got to me is my mom struggled from loving herself. She died of alcoholism. She drank herself to death, basically, because of all of the things that she had went through. And I feel like when you love yourself, you choose different habits. And that will keep you from maybe bringing yourself down to another level. And I know that my mom loved us, but we needed her to love herself so that she could have been with us. And even on to that, I've been doing my ancestry and I learned that my mother's mother I knew she had always had died when my mom was little, but she died seven months after my mother was born. Mm-hmm. So my mom never knew her own mother. And I'm like, this generational curse has to stop. <laughs> I need to love Karen and I need to be here for my children so that I can, you know, be in my 80s and 90s and see my grandchildren and stuff. But it's not just like, again, I just I really feel that women really pour so much into everyone else that then they don't pour into themselves. And it's hard. You already gave us some wonderful examples of what you do to practice self-love early in the conversation. But as you're talking about your mother and grandmother, I was thinking, as the mother of five in a blended family, how are you mothering differently? What are you doing as a mother to be maybe the mother that you never had? My youngest daughter, Joy, my biological child, she... And her name is Joy for a reason. So I was pregnant with my daughter, Joy, when my mom passed. And she's my joy because couldn't be anything else for me to have to give birth. But I knew and my mom didn't get to see her. But what she reminded me is that she's like, mom, you're kind of hard on us. You, I was a tough mommy, you know. So as when she became an adult, I realized I needed to listen more. So I mother a little different. I was really tough. I wanted them to make the best grades and I wanted to, and I was at everything. I was that mom that was involved in every little event of their life. I didn't miss anything, but I also realized that I was just a little too much, (laughs) a little too much, just a little too much. And so I learned that I needed to step back and it's not about being their friend. It's just about being a good listener as I just, I didn't listen as much as I should. So I spend a lot more time listening to my children, even though they're now all adults, but I listen more than I did then. And it has really helped my relationship. And so as I do coaching and wellness coaching with other adult parents and with adult children or teenagers, I talk to them about my mistakes, (laughs) about that point of time of listening and trying to really, truly understand them and stop trying to parent them the way we were parented or trying to teach them the way we were taught. This is a different generation and a different time. They have different issues than we have. So I had to learn a lot and it took time, but I think I'm think I'm getting there. I listen more is such wonderful advice in so many situations. So I appreciate you for saying that. Now you're as I'm speaking to you, like I'm I'm speaking to a very accomplished woman who's had a whole bunch of life lessons. She's done her own homework. She's a lifelong learner. You're in your early 50s, so you have a lot of life ahead of you. And you're in a way at a a privileged place where 
you get to make some choices about how Karen wants to spend her time. So if you look ahead and you could wave a magic wand in whatever Karen wants, it's going to happen. What are some things that you'd like to do a little more of? And what are maybe some things you'd like to do a little less of as you go forward? Wow. I want to do more speaking. I love being in front of people, sharing my story. I truly believe that if I can share my story to millions, I want to, because I love being able to impact the lives of someone else. No one should feel some of the things that I felt and not know how to get past it and not to, to know they're not alone. Like there's so many people that are ashamed to talk about the things that they're going through or been through and they feel like they can't accomplish something. And I'm like, listen, let me let me give you my mistakes so that you can know that you can overcome them. And I think that that helps people because sometimes you see people and you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, we look at the Michelle and the Barack Obamas of the world and like, oh, my gosh, they're the perfect power couple and everything was perfect. And they got and fell in love and they were both in law school. And, and I'm like, this is not it's wonderful. I love them. I, my God, I would love to meet them. But let me talk about the Kieran you know, went through a divorce and I've had this issues and I had this happen and this, you know, and not that their world was perfect because I'm sure they had their own troubles. But sometimes when you see other people's lives, you feel, you see something that you feel is the way things are. And, and when you hear from other people and you see that they've been through some traumas and some issues and then you're like, okay, they went through that and they can, they can be here today. Yes. I was homeless my first year, second year in college. Mm. <laughs> I was homeless, had nowhere to go. And that worked out and I still graduated. So when you can tell those types of stories to people, that's, that sparks some opportunity for them to have motivation and hope. When I want to do more of that, like if I could spend my life doing that and giving people hope, I would be so happy. My sense of you is that that you just have this, I call it the helper gene. You just want to help people. And I, I know besides of your, your marvelous corporate career, you already mentioned that the wellness support that you offer individuals and, and families. And wellness is a, it's a catchphrase that means different things to different people, right? It encompasses a lot. It so does. Would you, talk, would you talk about... When you, Karen, speak about wellness, what are you talking about and how do you want to support people around a greater sense? Around the wellness. So what I try to do is I try to get people to have wellness to think about mentally where it is that they're looking for. Some people, they're like, oh, I want to lose weight. I want to I want to feel good about myself. I want to look a certain way. And I'm like, but and then I try to get people to understand why you want to do that and how you can do that simplistically. I'm not trying to, a lot of people focus on, well, let me get you at the gym and let me, but you gotta, you know, our greatest battle is in our mind. Mm. Our greatest battle starts in our mind. So what I try to do is I try to get people in that wellness state just emotionally, because until you put you, first, you got to get past that emotional state. Once you get past that, you can accomplish anything. But a lot of people can't never get over that emotional stump. And that's why they just keep trying and they keep trying because they are not emotionally there. They're not emotionally invested in their career. They're not emotionally invested in their health. They're not emotionally invested in their relationships. And if you're not emotionally invested in something, then you're divested. So I try to get people to that point. And I do that a lot with sessions and 
letting people hear why and what and where and when. And when they kind of peel those onions back and start going, okay, you know, then they're like, it's like the light comes on and then they can move in a positive direction. Because what I think they do is they try to jump to, I'm going to lose 30 pounds or they try to jump to, I'm going to stop smoking or they're going to jump to, I'm going to stop drinking. Are they going to jump to, I'm going to have, I'm going to meet this perfect guy and have this perfect relationship. Are they going to jump to, I'm going to be this VP or whatever, whatever they're, whatever that is, you know, I'm going to get this great job. Okay. But are you emotionally vested into this? Because whatever, what anything is worth having is worth working for it, but you got to work up here in your mind first. That's your, that's your first battlefield. Now, based on everything that you just said, and based on your experience in life, if you had a chance to so whisper in, in young Karen's ear and give us some words of wisdom to so to sort of be the friend that maybe young Karen didn't have, in a way, the friend that you are to other young women, but what would you want young Karen to know? I wish I could tell that young girl to to love herself sooner. Yeah. It shouldn't have taken me 20 plus, almost 30 years to learn to love me. It, it really shouldn't. It took a long time for me to learn to love myself. A very long time. I wish I would have told her that she was pretty and she believed it. I wish I could have told her that she was smart and she would have believed it. And I wish I would have told her that the things that she's experiencing, it is okay to share and to tell. Don't keep things a secret. I just, I, I didn't know. I just kept it in and I just held it in. And it, I think it damaged me for a while. It damaged me emotionally and mentally and even physically. It damaged me. And had I been able to speak and go get help sooner, I think there's some of the trauma, other things that domino effect things that I experienced, I would have never experienced had I just been able to be helped sooner. Well, I celebrate you for being the inspirational person that you are and for for using yourself, I would say, as an instrument to help others, which is, I think, a wonderful way to use our life experiences, even if they weren't always easy and all of that stuff. So thank you for your honesty. I, I'm sure there are listeners who want to find out more about you or learn more about what you do. Where would you like to direct them, Karen? Wow. There's so many ways to reach Karen. Probably my website is my greatest, drkarencorea.com. Emails come directly to me. You can email me directly. I am on all of social medias. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. It's Karen Korea or Karen Smith Korea. So please reach out to me. I try really hard to reach to follow up, especially if you go to my website. I definitely follow up with people. And um, I know that this world it can be cruel. And I just feel like as once we know there's someone out there willing to help us and that we can there, I just don't feel there's nothing. As long as we wake up every day, we have an opportunity to make a difference in our lives. Every day is a new day, no matter what we go through. Every day is a new day. Thank you so much for the gift of this conversation, Karen. It was Thank you. an absolute pleasure for me. Awesome. I totally appreciate it. Thank you so much. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com. 
and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.